Have you ever thought to yourself, kids should come with manuals? Me too. But since they don't, a parenting coach is the next best thing. Our guest today, Melissa Corkum, has read all the books, gone to all the trainings, gotten certified as a life coach, Enneagram coach. She's an essential oil specialist and empowered to connect parent trainer. Regardless of what parenting struggle you're facing today, Melissa can help you. She's helped dozens of parents shift the brain-based view of behavior so they can find more effective solutions besides threatening and punishing so that they can become confident parents. And we all want that, right? In addition to being a parenting coach, Melissa is called mom by six kids, two by birth, four by adoption, and is wife to her husband, Patrick. And in today's episode, she shares with us how we can use the Enneagram to understand ourselves better as homeschool CEOs, as well as how to understand our children. If you're ready to understand more about why you do the things you do and why your kids act the way that they do, this is the episode for you. So let's get this party started. Welcome to the Homeschool CEO Podcast, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs who want to successfully homeschool their kids while running a profitable business. In this podcast, we'll reveal the truth of what it really looks like behind the scenes of an entrepreneur who homeschools and how to make it all work. If you're an entrepreneur who currently homeschools or you want to start, you are in the right place, my friend. With 16 years experience combining entrepreneurship with homeschooling, I'm your host, Jen Myers, and this is the Homeschool CEO Podcast. All right, Homeschool CEO community, I'm so excited today for our guest. If you're anything like me and geek out on personality tests and Enneagrams and all of that crazy awesome stuff, today's episode is for you. So I'd love to introduce you to Melissa. Um, Go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, your family, your business, just what makes you you. Sure. So first of all, thanks for having me, Jen. And my husband, Patrick, and I live just north of Baltimore, and I more or less was born or raised here, born and raised here. I was actually adopted um, as an infant from Korea to the Baltimore area, and we actually still share a house with my parents. And we have six kids, two by birth, four through adoption, and four of them live at home. Two of them are kind of out doing their own thing. And then we also have a grandbaby. So we have a one and a half year old granddaughter who lives here with her mom. So we have a pretty busy household and we've been homeschooling for, I think about 10 years on and off. Every Someone has been homeschooled for the last 10 years in different you know, combinations of kids. It's been all six at some seasons. Uh, We just had a daughter decide that she wants to go to school. I said, girlfriend, you picked a heck of a season to decide (laughs) to go to school. And it's going to be virtual. Our school district already called it. So so we still have one that we're homeschooling. And I am a parent coach. And I help families find brain-based solutions to challenging behaviors so they can laugh more and yell less. I love that. Okay, so you have a lot going on. So I feel like, honestly, I feel like I could have you on the podcast five or six different times and we could talk about something so fascinating and interesting every single time. So just so you know, everybody, Melissa is going to be back on the podcast again. I can already predict it. But today, 
We're going to talk about just one facet of your business as far as being a parenting coach and finding different solutions and one tool that you use to help home, help all parents that you help and particularly how we can use it as a homeschool CEO, the Enneagram personality test. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So the Enneagram definitely gets grouped with things like the Myers-Briggs and the Strengths Finders, all the personality things. I actually think it's a little bit of a misnomer. I'm kind of sad that it doesn't just get its own like standalone, but I know our brain likes to connect things. And so I get it, but it's set apart from the other personality typing systems in two main ways. The first one is it started as a narrative tradition and it's a more modern narrative tradition, but it has some roots all the way back to, even if we look at the Odyssey, Odysseus's journey, he actually visits nine different lands and they actually correlate to the nine Enneagram personality types. So this wisdom of these nine ways to see the world has actually been with us for many, many years. And so that's a little bit different because it doesn't, it wasn't designed for a test. And so I know in this world, we like assessments and we like tests and shortcuts, but it really is kind of this more self-discovery path and journey more than just, I need to take a test. And then the second thing that really sets it apart is that it's based on motivation, not behavior, which is why tests, although there are many, have really struggled to really nail down to high accuracy, how to identify somebody's dominant type. Um, The tests tend to be about 70% accurate. So Um, And it's because a lot of us, like Jen, we were talking before recording that we're different types, although similar because we sit next to each other. Um, So we may have similar behaviors, but for completely different reasons. And so it's really hard for an assessment to tease out the whys of our behavior. We really have to do it like in relationship and, you know, reading books and listening to podcasts and such. Okay, that's really good how you touched on the motivations because they are different. And that is why I was sharing with Melissa again before the podcast we were chatting. And we were talking about how when I was in sixth grade, I took the Myers-Briggs test and it was really, really accurate even to today. However, when I found the Enneagram, it gave me another layer deep to understand my motivations, which when you understand those driving forces it really helps us zero in on what drives us as well as what drives our children because we're all homeschool CEOs. So we all have kids that we're homeschooling as well. And when we understand these different personalities and different levels, it just helps us uh, personalize things a little bit better for each person in our family and for us as well. So I love how you said it's more of a narrative. You know, it's not an assessment. So I know that there are nine numbers. Can you kind of briefly walk me through what each of the numbers are and a little bit more about each one of them? Yeah, sure. So I'll give all the numbers and I'm going to give them titles, which I don't love, but it really just helps people kind of put buckets around them. It helps our brain hang on to them, but really focus in on these fears and motivations that I talk about. Because again, So like, for instance, I'll start with one, which is the moral perfectionist. And you might be thinking, oh, well, I like things to be perfect. I'm detail-oriented and all of these things. But again, if you don't identify with the core fear of a one, then you might not be a one. You might be a perfectionist for some other reason. So number ones, 
like I said, we're the moral perfectionists and their core fear is really being wrong, being bad, being evil. All ones identify strongly with having this inner critic that they think is themselves, they think is truth and isn't necessarily. And until you know the Enneagram, you might not realize that not all people have that inner critic. And so um, that can change and give us more compassion for other numbers, right? So you might be thinking, well, how could they be doing that? Doesn't their inner critic tell them not to do that? Well, we don't all have inner critics. Type twos are called the supportive advisors. And so they really fear being worthless um, or indispensable. And so they will often try to find their worth by helping others. So they tend to be the helpers. And also to clarify, every number has like a superpower and like a kryptonite. So no number is better than the other. You might think like, oh, I want to be the helper. But really, like, you know, we probably all know somebody in our life who helps even when they don't need to help or when we would prefer that they didn't step in, right? And so twos have a shadow side as well. They can be kind of overbearing because they're so desperate for you to want them that they will just insert themselves into your life and help out, right? Um, Type threes are the successful achievers and they really fear failing. Now you might think, of course, no one loves to fail, but really, if we're honest, some of us are better at it than others. And some of us, if you're a three, failing literally it makes you think you're going to die. <laughs> like it's just like the worst thing ever because it your worth is in your successes. Type fours are the romantic individualists and they really fear kind of being inadequate. They all identify with this feeling of not being enough. They kind of walk through the world kind of like an outsider looking in thinking like I didn't get this one part that the rest of the world got. They just kind of always feel like there's something missing. And they tend to be very creative, kind of ethereal, and often will look at personality typing systems or the Enneagram and be like, I'm none of those numbers because I'm so unique that none of them could possibly describe me. So if you're thinking that in the back of your head, you might want to check out the four a little bit more deeply. Type fives are the investigative thinkers. So these are the people in our world who are just analyzing all the time. They suck in information and their core fear is kind of annihilation or being incapable. So along with this um, gathering of information that they do, they also have this very acute sense that they have a limited amount of energy to give the world. And so they tend to be very careful with it. It's kind of like if you leave the house for vacation with your cell phone, but you forget your charging cable. And so you're constantly all vacation, like measuring how much you use your phone. Like, can you get to the end without it dying? Fives kind of feel like that every morning when they wake up. Like, can they get to the end of the day without just like kaputzing? Type sixes are the loyal guardians and their core fear is kind of fear itself. They tend to be our more stereotypical, anxious, worst case scenario thinkers. And each type has a shade within it that's kind of like a counter type, but it's more pronounced in sixes because folks who are afraid tend to either like withdraw away from their fear or they tend to just like hit it head on, right? Like I don't want to be afraid of being afraid. And so I'm just going to do all the things that, you know, I'm going to conquer all my fears. And so sixes can look in a variety of different ways. Um, and this is probably a good time to, again, say, if we imagine that each type 
was like a colored lens that we saw the world through, that there are many shades of every color. So blue is blue the world around, but there's light blue and medium blue and dark blue and navy blue and midnight blue, um, also blue. So, you know, it's not like we're trying to cookie cutter you into a specific set of, of behaviors. Type sevens are the entertaining optimist. And I identify as a type seven as my dominant type. And we really feel being deprived or trapped in boredom. We pretty much are here for all the fun parts of life. And um, if we're not careful, like if we're not being intentional, uh, we'll really escape away from the painful things. And so I have a piece of me that's very perfectionistic, but it has a limit. You know, if it gets too not fun, I'm out, which is why I thought I was a one for a long time. And then I realized this piece of me that like, I'm a perfectionist to a point, And then I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. Peace out. Um, whereas ones will like take it all the way home. Um, type eight are the protective challengers and their core fear is really being weak. And so they tend to be people that have kind of a tough outer shell. People experience them as very confident, sometimes overbearing or intimidating, but they're kind of sheltering like this really squishy inner vulnerable core. And like, they're the folks that you want to have on your team because they're really for justice and they're tireless. So they will have your back like until the bitter end. And just for, and for you all to know that I'm a type eight, like as strong of a type eight as they come. (laughs) (laughs) So you want Jen in your corner. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So if you're looking for somebody that's going to fight for you, like that is it. I think that really people came out and said the people who knew I was a type eight as we've fought through some of the discrimination and diversity stuff that came up a month ago, they said that you saw the eight really rise to the occasion in that situation and be like, no, we're standing for justice and we don't care what anybody else says about us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very eight sentiment for sure. But we're scary. You guys, if you're listening to this, (laughs) if you're like, Jen scares me, you're not alone, but I inside, right, Melissa, you're, you've got my back. I have a really squishy, soft side. It just, yeah, it's kind of, it comes out fighting. Yeah. And yeah. So wings basically are the two numbers on either side of your number and your wings can be different things throughout your life, but I tend towards a really strong eight wing. So that's probably why we love each other so much. All right. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to let all of our homeschool CEO community that that is where I am. So if you are an eight and you're like, darn it, I'm an eight. It's okay. I got your back. I understand. Yeah. And eight, I, I would say women eights are probably some of the most misunderstood folks on the Enneagram. Um, and then last, but certainly not least, and this is kind of ironic that we that we tack on nines at the end, is nines are the peaceful mediators. And they just fear being in conflict. And so much so that they really forget even who they are for the sake of everyone else. So it's kind of apropos, right? That they would be like, n- not that we're trying to make them like the afterthought at the end, but like that they would kind of stand alone and we would be like, and yeah, and let's not forget nines because they tend to forget themselves. And they Um, may have an opinion about something, but they're so focused on other people that they even forget. I had someone tell me who's a nine recently that she spent her whole life thinking compromise was just doing what everyone else wanted. It never occurred to her that she had an opinion or something to gain in a compromise situation. And I was like, well, girlfriend, that that explains a lot. And, And that thought, like as a more assertive number on the Enneagram has never crossed my mind. I am always for my part of the compromise. Yes. 
So yeah, so so that's nines. Um, my mom's a nine, and in hindsight, it it makes so much sense. She was the kind of mom who we would almost chuckle when she would try to yell at us because she just didn't have the energy behind it. Like she would try to yell, and we'd all be like, "Is that all you have?" <laughs> I have a nine on my team, and I love her because one, she's never going to ruffle any feathers, but sometimes I as the leader of homeschool CEO have to pull out her opinion from her and be like, no, she brings so much to the table, but she's always running around being the peacemaker and making sure that everybody is okay and nobody is upset. And so, yeah, I, but you know what? Nines are the best people to be around. If you need somebody to listen to you or you're upset because they're always making peace. Yeah. They're fantastic listeners. And We often hear nines say that they're all the Enneagram numbers. Like, do I have to pick one? Because they're so good at putting themselves in everyone else's shoes that they listen to descriptions and they can so fully identify with everybody that they're like, I'm everything. I'm all of them. I can be, I can be anyone because they tend to be able to be so empathetic. Yes. Yeah. That's such a great gift for them for sure. So we talked about just briefly the wings. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So wings, like I said, have to be the number on either side of your number. So every once in a while, I'll meet someone who says like, I'm a nine wing six. Well, that's not possible. Like if you're a nine, you either have a one wing or an eight wing or your balance. And when we think about birds flying, they need both wings to be successful. And so the Enneagram Ian Morgan Cron has said that it instead of putting us in a box, like a lot of personality typing systems, I feel like do for me, they kind of tell us the box that we've put ourselves in by how we see the world and then tell us how to get out. It really um, has a lot of movement and really teaches us how to become the best, most fully integrated versions of ourselves. So the behaviors that are stereotypical to your type are kind of what we tend to do when we're subconscious in our personality, right? If we're just moving through life without trying really hard or doing personal work, that's kind of how we show up. But the beauty is, is that we all have, you know, this will and this conscience and we can be better versions of ourselves. And so we all can identify with a little bit of each of the numbers, which is true, but we have a dominant part, like our subconscious, that's what it's going to do. And it's different. Like my subconscious is going to do something than my mom's subconscious, but that doesn't mean that we can't access other things. And so the wings, our personality will borrow from our wings in certain situations. Um, based on, again, personality leaning and circumstance and how much work we've done. And so if we naturally tend towards one wing, then we can, that tells us that we can do work to, like in my case, I tend more towards an eight wing. I tend towards, like, I'll say yes to anything. I bulldoze my way through things. So I can really borrow from the other side, which is six, which is worst case scenario, a little bit more cautious. I would do well, right, to remember some of that let's take a look and see what the landscape could be before we just jump in and say like, it'll all be fine. All right. So yeah, that makes sense. I'm thinking like with me, I'm an eight wing seven, but I guess I do borrow some things from the nine on the other side, given different situations. So that makes sense. So then how do we apply this knowledge when it comes to running our businesses? Well, as you mentioned, you know what the dominant type of some of your team members are. And so that's huge because 
if you didn't know about your gal that she was a nine, you might just take her silence as agreeance with you and that she didn't have an opinion to share where now you know that you really have to draw that opinion out and remind her that her opinion's valid. And if you're an eight and you didn't know that a nine existed, then because it would never occur to you not to insert your opinion, then the story you would tell about her silence was she doesn't have anything to contribute because if she did, surely she would speak up, um, which is a very eight view of the world, nothing wrong with it. But we have to remember that not everybody (laughs) shares our willingness and value for our opinions, that there are people sitting out there that have tons of opinions, but actually have to be invited to the table to share them. So I think knowing the people that we're working with and also knowing how we will lead, what are our strengths as the dominant number that we are and what are our weaknesses because of that is really important. All right. So as a business owner, yeah, I think that what you're saying as far as knowing our strengths and our weaknesses, because it gives the awareness and that's the first step of really knowing how to manage it and using it to our benefit. Because like you said, all the numbers have a strength. Yeah. And every single number can be a fantastic leader and every single number can be a really crummy leader if we're not being careful. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we apply that then as a homeschool mom? Yeah. So here's a disclaimer is that we never want to use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield, as Beth McCord would say. So a sword means like, you know, watching someone act some way and not really having a relationship with them and being like, you are such a three, like, you know, that's a, such a three thing to do, right? Really naming people, calling them out. The Enneagram is a personal journey. And so we don't want to type people. We don't want to call them out on things that they might not be ready to hear. But we also don't want to use it as a shield. Like, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm an eight. Like y'all can just, you know, suck it up and let me do my thing. This is what eights do. Because like I said, we always have a way to be better, better integrated around the Enneagram. And so we can never just be settled for where we are as a shield. And so as parents, it, when you first hear about the Enneagram, your first tendency, at least for the assertive type that I am, is to like type everyone in your world, (laughs) you know, shove a test in your husband's face, shove a book in, you know, like, you know, share podcasts, all the things, right? which is good to a certain extent. But again, even the journey of coming to believe that the Enneagram is a valid way to interpret how others see the world is its own journey. You know, my husband sees some validity in it and he knows enough of the vernacular that we can use that as a communication tool, but he doesn't quite understand how many hours I devote to digging deeper into it and the, you know, the certification I got and the coaching, all the things. He's certainly supportive because he's a fantastic husband, but he doesn't quite get it either. So it's a, it's a journey for everybody. But I think Again, knowing that there's all these different ways to see the world, my husband and I have similar personality types. And so without the Enneagram, we could, because we agree on something, extrapolate into, well, then that's the right way to see the world, right? Because I might check in with him and be like, hey, I I noticed this about this one kid and this is what I'm thinking. And he'd be like, no, you're right on. And I'd be like, okay, well, then we must be right because we both came to this conclusion in different ways. Um, But between the two of us, we don't represent a pretty significant chunk of Enneagram 
perspectives. And so to know that they're out there and that they are still valid ways to see the world has been really important to us because we need to remember, well, we don't understand why that kid does the things that he does. But then we think, well, he's clearly not coming from the same perspective as we are. And even though we might not know his number and it's not our right to type him, we can probably hypothesize which numbers he's not, or he's certainly not our numbers, or else we would probably understand him better. Um, And so it just gives us compassion for all the different ways that we come to conclusions and to different behaviors. So do you think that the Enneagram is apparent at birth or is it more, so is it a nature versus nurture experience? What's like the earliest age that you can start to maybe understand, hey, my kid is three and they're doing this and they're, you know, they're probably an eight. You know, I'm pretty sure for me personally, by the time I was like three and running the household, my parents, if they had had the Enneagram, they would have said my daughter is an eight. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that that's probably only with the stronger personalities. Uh, But where do you see, because I know you deal a lot with, as a parenting coach, at what age can you start to really start identifying these characteristics in our kids? Yeah. So the majority of teachers will say that we are born our type and that it's kind of because we come to the world with this confirmation bias, right? Like we're kind of born that way. And so it's kind of how we perceive things. And then it just kind of reinforces things. So it's definitely more of a nature thing. And while we can't type our kids, again, like you said, there's certain personality traits that you kind of like, you get this inkling. Um, And our granddaughter is a fantastic example of this. So she's one and a half. She has not been on this earth for very long. And I will not go as far as to say that she's a certain number, but I can tell you that she's probably one of the three, what we call more assertive or aggressive numbers, because she has an opinion and she's not afraid to tell you. And she will drag you around the house to try to teach you or show you what she wants. And she will not rest. And she is not afraid to throw herself on the floor and kick her little legs and scream at the top of her voice until someone gets her what she wants. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I can make this pretty educated guess that she's probably not a nine, right? Right. No, she's not like one of those more passive, I'll sit and play with my toys. Like even from six months, she has never picked up a toy and just kind of examined it. She has every single time she picks up a toy, she wings it as far across the room as she can just to see how far it will go. (laughs) So, um, but, but here's what I will never say to her, right? I will never say like, oh, you're such an eight, like you're so strong-willed, right? I have a pretty good inkling, again, that she's one of the aggressive numbers. I'm going to keep eight on the table, but that's for her to figure out. But what that does for us as a family is know that she is going to need us to go toe-to-toe with her, that we can't back down because eights respect authority if the authority can match their energy. And so if we're not careful. And if we don't understand that, then she could be running our house at 18 months old. And, you know, but if you go toe to toe with a nine all the time, they're going to shrink into themselves like a turtle and never come out and show their true selves. So, you know, we can use our good sense and hypothesis to know these things 
um, but help us understand how um, our kids are experiencing the world. But at the end of the day, if you have a child and you're like, ah, they could be like any of the numbers, that's okay too, because the power of the Enneagram is our own self-reflection, knowing your own number and how that, even if I don't know any of the other numbers of the family, of my family members, I know my number, which means I know how I'm experiencing all the other people in my house. And that in itself is all you really need to be successful. Oh, that is so wise because you're right. I feel like when I really understood, and I still have so much to learn of the Enneagram, I started to understand how I'm perceiving the world around me, as well as how it's potentially that they're perceiving me you know, different things like that. All right. So tell our audience, if they're interested in the Enneagram, where, what would be like the next steps that they could take to maybe get an assessment to understand a little bit more, read a book, where would they go to find out more? Yeah. Well, I have a book called the Enneagram for busy parents. And so I'd love to offer that to you guys. And so you can go to the corkboardonline.com, which is my website slash homeschool CEO. And that will take you to that. And then generally speaking, pick whether you're a book reader or a podcast listener, um, whatever you have time for and your schedule with running your business and homeschooling all your kids and just start exploring it. So I love listening to podcasts. That's my preferred Enneagram like exploration method. One, because I can do it in the car. I can do it while I'm doing dishes. I can do it on cooking, on my walk, whatever. And I enjoy the conversation around it. I enjoy um, podcasts that have other people on who do know their number and are willing to share some of their stories. And that's really that what helped me type myself because I was I would listen to, you know, conversations with ones and I'd be like, oh, I'm not, I get that, I get that. And then I would be like, but there's that one piece, you know, about the inner critic and all that piece that I'm not so sure about. And then I would listen to threes and sevens and and the more I listened to sevens and the more people explained them and some of their childhood experiences. And really, we also have to think about who we were more like in our 20s, right? Like before we really did some work and got more aware of ourselves or got really stressed out all the things like kind of our purest personality is kind of when we first are not with our parents because our parents influence a lot of our behavior. And so we can think we might be a number based on how we act in a household where the rules are not our own. But when, when you're kind of in your 20s and you're going out on your own, that's really your first chance for like your pure, full personality to really shine through. So think about not who you were like yesterday, you know, especially if you're, you know, headed towards 40 like I am. But think about like 20s when you're a little bit more carefree and like your childhood patterns. So I, I enjoy listening to other people talk about, you know, who they are and were as their number. But then I do have some really great reference books that, you know, kind of keep me grounded. And, and I like to dig really deep. So I have my, my little Enneagram library. The Essential Enneagram is this tiny little yellow paperback book. You can get it on Amazon for like seven or eight bucks. And it's kind of a book slash an assessment all rolled into one. So that's if you really just want like a dip your toe in before you go down the rabbit hole, that's a good thing to anchor yourself on as well. Awesome. And we will link all of those websites up in the show notes as well. And Melissa, thank you so much for being on the show today. Tell our audience where they can connect with you online. Yeah. So 
Um, again, my website's thecorkboardonline.com and I'm on Instagram at corkboardonline. So that's a great place. I do a lot of parenting tips, but also throw some Enneagram and other things in there as well. So those are the two places. And then I have a Facebook group. So you can get to that um, from my website or just go to thecorkboardonline.com slash Facebook and that'll take you right to it. Good deal. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. All right, friends. In case you couldn't tell, I'm kind of an Enneagram geek. I find it fascinating to understand why we do the things we do and why other people are different than us. If this fascinates you as well, take a screenshot of today's episode, tag me in it at Homeschool CEO, and let me know, one, what was your biggest takeaway, and two, what is your Enneagram number? I want to see how many Enneagram numbers are represented in our amazing Homeschool CEO community. I love connecting with all of you, and I look forward to hearing from you. Talk to you next week. Hey friend, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in today. If you loved what you heard, please be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I really appreciate it. And for more information on connecting with other homeschool CEOs just like you, be sure to check out our website at www.homeschoolceo.com. And as always, Team Homeschool CEO, you ladies inspire me. Thank you for always showing others what is possible. You guys are awesome. See you next week.